0: Luke twenty four thirteen to 35 Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly stay with us for it is nearly evening the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them when he was at table with them he took bread, gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them then their eyes were opened and they recognised him Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread.
1: In the 1930s, uh, the most wanted man in the US was this guy, John Dillinger, an American bank robber. Uh, You might have seen him in the film Public Enemies recently, uh, played by Johnny Depp. Anyway, back in the day, all the cops were on high alert to look out for John Dillinger, And they must have been rejoicing when they caught him. Uh, According to all the descriptions they had, they'd found their man. He had the the mole underneath, just next to his nose there, you might see it there. uh, And he had this cut on his left wrist. And so uh, according to everything that they had, they'd caught their man. Only they hadn't quite caught the actual John Dillinger. Uh, They'd caught poor old Rolf Oldsman, a law-abiding citizen who happened to look almost exactly like John. Unfortunately, the internet failed me to provide you a picture of him. But anyway, and the poor old police would have got excited another 16 times as they kept on arresting poor old Ralph instead of John. Uh, they must have been bitterly disappointed as they kept on uh, arresting him. And then poor old Ralph, some bad guys were also disappointed as they shot Ralph nine times. So everyone's just disappointed that Ralph isn't actually John Dillinger. Uh, that must have been very disappointing for everyone <laughs> and poor old Ralph. Uh, but the, Ralph just wasn't the man that they'd hoped him to be. Uh, they were looking for to capture the most wanted man in America, but they kept on failing. And sometimes we have our hopes smashed, don't we, as we encounter people, uh, but they don't actually turn out to be quite who we thought they were. Uh, sometimes politicians might have disappointed us in the past, or, or friends. And so this morning, as we see a passage, uh, we, we meet some people on a road uh, who have had their hopes smashed, uh, as their friend Jesus didn't turn out to be who they thought he was going to be. It must have been a very sad and confused walk for these two disciples as they headed off to Emmaus. They'd just seen their leader and their teacher nailed to a cross and murdered. And then this morning they had this really confusing encounter with these two women who'd come up to tell them that they'd seen an angel who said Jesus was alive and Peter had seen an empty tomb. Uh, So tired and confused, they head off to Emmaus. Check out verse 13 in your Bibles with me. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. Now The disciples are walking along the road, no doubt discussing uh, how their hopes have been smashed, and Jesus kind of casually rocks up beside them. But you'll see at this point they're, they're stopped from recognising him, they're kept from recognising who Jesus is, uh, and this is God, probably, keeping them from seeing who's standing beside them uh, so that Jesus can tell them more about himself. Uh, and God will choose to reveal who he really is later on in their journey. And so as their journey continues on, Jesus sort of asks with this very leading question, uh, very innocently, I can imagine he'd say it, verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk down this road? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? The disciples are visibly devastated by Jesus' question. Their whole world has been rocked to the core as they saw their master crucified. And so they basically asked Jesus, have you been living under a rock that you don't know what's happened in these days, this event that's totally changed our lives? And so Jesus probes a bit further so we can get to the heart of the matter. Verse 19. What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women have amazed us, they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. See there, Jesus gets them to expose the heart of their sadness. The issue was that who they thought Jesus was didn't come true. That what they'd hoped for didn't happen. Jesus was dead and he'd been dead for three days. There's no way he's going to rise now. See, the disciples were faithful Israelites and they'd been looking out for the king to come who would save them from their oppressors, who would redeem them from their oppressors. Uh, We read last week, we've been looking at Daniel and we saw that from Daniel's time onwards, the the Israelites have always been oppressed for a good 600 years uh, by one superpower after another. And the disciples had thought, finally, the one who is going to free Israel from these captors has come to save us. And then wham, Jesus is crucified. It's a pretty good way to stop an uprising is to kill the leader. And so it was here. But you see, the disciples aren't even say that it was the Romans that killed them. But he was betrayed by their very own leaders, the ones who should have been the first to follow Jesus as he freed their nation. So the disciples' hopes had been smashed. Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. And in their unstate, they weren't even able to understand and recognise the good news of the resurrection staring them in the face as they told Jesus that he was dead. They couldn't believe their friends who told them that he was alive. Nothing but a work of God could allow them to see the truth. Their problem was that their hope was all messed up. They hadn't truly understood who Jesus was and they didn't really know Jesus They were hoping for a glorious king to free them from human oppression, but Jesus was much more than just that. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus rebukes the disbelief uh, in the disciples. But it's not, they're not rebuked for not believing their friends who'd seen the angel or anything like that. But it's the scriptures. Jesus said to them, you've got it all wrong. How can you not believe what the Old Testament, Moses, the Law and the Prophets, uh, Moses, Prophets and the Psalms, have said who I am? Jesus says, I've come to deal with your core problem, not just some pesky Romans. The disciples have failed to truly know Jesus because they've failed to actually understand what the Old Testament tells them about who he was. And so amazingly, Jesus begins to fill them in on the missing details of what they've missed in the Old Testament, Explaining that his glory was to come through suffering. What Jesus came to deal with, ultimately, was the cosmic battle that's been going on ever since Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden. And it's far greater than just rescuing this one little nation. We all know uh, that, uh, that in the garden, uh, people have come under the lordship of Satan and of sin. Uh, our broken world testifies that to that every day. Uh, but the good news is, within the Old Testament, that even on this really sad and tragic day, there was a promise given uh, that one day uh, the, the suffering servant would come uh, and defeat Satan back there right in Genesis 3:15 and this is part of the curse that was given to the, the serpent and I will put enmity between you uh, sorry and I God will put enmity between you the serpent and the woman between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel so even way back at the beginning when this when the ultimate uh, uh, when all this bad stuff had happened uh, the ultimate defeater of death and Satan was promised to come But you'll see that that he was going to be suffered to suffer. He was going to be struck in this process of striking down and defeating Satan and death. But the disciples had missed this. They'd had their views too low and too narrow, looking just simply at Israel, rather than the cosmic issue that Jesus had come to deal with. The disciples thought that it was the Roman oppression that was their main problem. They thought that's why Jesus had come and in one sense, you sort of get a sense for that and understandable as you read through Israel's history. At certain points in the Old Testament, God is most glorified as he frees his special nation out from under the oppressors. Uh, as we saw with Israel's history as, they, as God led Israel out from under Egypt. Uh, that was the big, the, the big gospel event of the Old Testament that glorified God amongst the other nations. Yet the disciples had missed the unfolding nature of how God is glorified through his people. And as you go through the Old Testament, we see, well, God's people stuff up again and again. And so God's focus on glorifying himself shifts from a nation of people to an individual, to one king, the new son of David, the ultimate prophet. And so as the pages unfold, we get this picture of this ultimate king, this ultimate Christ that comes into focus. And he is in many ways a different king to what we might have expected because his path to glory is very different from the earthly kings that we see around us. It it didn't lead through the graves of his enemies to glory but through his own grave. The disciples hoped for this glory of the king that only went as far as Israel being free. But the Old Testament looks to a glory where all people might be free from from the ultimate oppressors of sin and of Satan. Can you imagine hearing Jesus just unpack the Old Testament for you and tell you how it was going to be and who he was? I think I expect at this point, verse uh, 27, we hear him say this sermon, and 28, we hear that the disciples fall flat on their face and praise and worship Jesus. Uh, that's what I'm expecting. He's just preached probably the best sermon in history, the entire hike to Emmaus, pointing out who he was from the Old Testament. But they still don't get it. Uh, They're still kept from recognising him. For though they now knew all the facts about who Jesus was, there was still an element to this relationship missing. They just heard one of the best sermons of all time and yet they still didn't understand. Uh, What was it that they were missing? Well, let's pick up verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly As they continued on their journey, Jesus kind of pretends like he's going to go on and they invite him into the house. And as they sit down, Jesus takes on the familiar role of the leader, of the head of the table, and he breaks bread with the disciples as he would have done many times in the past. And it's at this moment that God chooses to open their eyes and they finally recognise who has been with them all this time on this hike to Emmaus. God chooses this little physical action of breaking the bread To finally show them the reality of who this man is in front of them. That it is their friend, Jesus, physically in front of them, resurrected from the dead. Not the great king here to overthrow the Romans, but the great king of the cosmos that brings them life. Their eyes are now opened and they truly know the real Jesus. And then Jesus disappears. What he'd come to accomplish was done. He'd explained to them through the scriptures uh, how they'd misunderstood who he was, why they needed to have such a bigger hope than just one tiny little nation being freed from oppressors. The disciples finally knew Jesus. And so they raced back uh, all seven miles to tell their mates that they too had seen Jesus. Amazingly, while they'd been gone, Jesus appeared to Peter as well. And so they're all over the moon that their friend is alive again. But the excitement stemmed from more than just their beloved friend and master coming back from the dead. They were excited because their hearts were burning from the scriptures as they finally understood who Jesus was. They finally understood and knew Jesus. It's wonderful to understand and to know Jesus, having our hearts warmed by the glory of who he is and what he's done for us through his death and resurrection. Resurrection. And we saw that for the disciples, uh, the first step to knowing Jesus was knowing who he was through the Old Testament, and we've got the New Testament to tell us who he was too. Uh, But that's not enough. Just knowing all that stuff uh, and all that Jesus explained to them didn't give them a real relationship with Jesus. Uh, They didn't actually know him properly. See, truly knowing Jesus actually involves our hearts being changed, our eyes being opened to the truth of who Jesus is so we can actually have a relationship with him. And I wonder if this realisation helps us to reflect on our relationship with Jesus too and how we might approach Jesus. If we think about ourselves, I don't think we've got the problem of uh, thinking that Jesus is going to free us from Roman oppression. I'm not sure if you're feeling very oppressed by Rome at the moment, but that's not my problem. Uh, but I think we do stray into thinking that just knowing stuff is enough. Uh, without actually having the spirit work in us that we can have a true and real relationship with him? Uh, Does our relationship finish at the point on a Sunday after hearing the sermon? And that's kind of it. We've sort of had our fill for the week of a bit more knowledge about who Jesus is and then we go out into our lives without having actually been affected by who Jesus is. That is, we have this relationship with Jesus that means we can sort of tick all the boxes as to what we know Who Jesus is without actually relating to him. We can know that Jesus is the Son of God, tick. He was born in Bethlehem, tick. Saved us from our sins, tick. Without actually having any true knowledge or a true relationship of Jesus. We can know all this stuff and then just stop there, uh, walking out on a Sunday to go and live our lives as if nothing had changed, rather than having the Spirit, uh, asking the Spirit to grow in us. A true knowledge and a relationship with Jesus. I know that this, this knowledge game is a trap that I've fallen into myself over the past few years at college. College is a great place, you learn lots of stuff about God, uh, but at points in my studies I've just approached it as a, as a memory game, as a knowledge game, studying great truths about God and Jesus purely for the fact of knowing more stuff and doing better in my exams. But what a pointless exercise that is in many ways. Don't get me wrong, knowing stuff about someone is important, but if that isn't put into practice with relationship, in relationship, then what's the point? imagine if after I married Merrin down the back there, to enhance our relationship, I decide that instead of actually talking with her and stuff, I'm just going to sit back and observe so I can know all this stuff about her. And so the years tick by and all I'm doing is observing Merrin, And I end up knowing a heap of stuff about her. Uh, It's quite impressive what I know. But I've ended up actually being a stalker rather than a husband. (laughs) On the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, if I actually relate to her in that knowledge and I, I learn things about her and then I put them into practice and you learn more things, I learn how I can love and serve my wife better and our relationship grows. And so it is with Jesus Uh, If we stop our knowledge of Jesus simply at the point of facts, if we come along and learn each Sunday or if we read the Bible uh, daily and just sort of learn new stuff about Jesus without pursuing him in relationship, uh, then all we're doing is stalking Jesus uh, with no real relationship. Uh, If you're here today and you find yourself as a bit of a stalker of Jesus, uh, what's the solution to our problem? How can we stop just knowing about Jesus and start actually knowing Jesus? Well, unsurprisingly, for myself, I've found that the answer is the usual two: read your Bibles and to pray. But the shift comes in how we read our Bibles and how we pray, how we listen to sermons. It, moves past, it needs to move past the simple sort of acquiring facts kind of mentality that we might have slipped into and start thinking about seeking a relationship with Jesus. It needs to stop seeking, it needs to stop being all about the facts that we can know more stuff. It needs to be about the facts so that we can serve and love our Lord and King better. And our prayers need to reflect this change. We need to be asking God that like the disciples had that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be changed that we can truly know Jesus and we can have a burning passion for the truths of who he is. And to truly love him. See, the disciples thought that they knew Jesus until their hearts were set on fire and their eyes were open to truly understand who he was so they could have a true and deep relationship with him. Uh, we need to be praying and we need to be seeking Jesus and that our hearts also might be set on fire, that our eyes would be open so that we can truly know and love Jesus and live all our days not just knowing stuff but seeking and loving and serving our great King Jesus.